0: Hey, New Anthem. I just wanted to say thanks before we dive into this teaching. Thanks for being flexible. Thanks for being able to participate here online. I know this probably isn't the way you'd prefer to come to church, but the good news is you didn't even have to put pants on to watch this. So there's that. Uh, please put pants on when we when we meet together next. Uh, we're fully anticipating that that's probably going to be next week, next Sunday. Uh, unless we hear otherwise um, again we'll try and put that out as much as we can everywhere we can uh, the school might not allow us to meet there so we need to be ready for that but again just wanted to say thank you i think we've got a unique opportunity here to be the church please don't let fear drive you please uh, be helpful please think about others during this time please check in on folks who you know maybe can't get out please offer them support. Um, Again, I think we got a unique opportunity to really show the difference that Christ makes in our lives by not panicking, but by devoting ourselves to prayer and by not thinking only of ourselves, but also thinking of others. Regardless of where you land on the seriousness of this whole COVID virus, uh, the fact of the matter is it's here, it's happening, And Christ compels us to want to do something to bring him glory through all of this. So don't get angry, don't get frustrated. Uh, I know all those things are are valid responses to some of the stuff that we see. It's sad when we can't trust everything we read and hear and all that. Um, What I can tell you is this, this didn't surprise God. This isn't the first crisis that he's gone through. He's still on the throne, he's still in control. He still has power to stop this at any point. And he still asks us to play our part in prayer and service and help and all of those things. And we're going to love God and we're going to love our neighbor. And I really want you to hear me say that you matter to God and that I still want to connect you to God's purpose. And we might have to do it a little differently for now, but uh, we're going to keep on keeping on. 100% for sure. So, uh, again, I want to thank you so much. Again, I know this isn't the way you'd prefer to do it. It's not the way we prefer to do it either. But in the meantime, stay healthy, uh, care for each other. If you've got any concerns, please don't hesitate to contact us here at the church. Love you. Praying for you. God bless. FOMO. That's what the kids are saying these days. FOMO. You've maybe heard it perhaps seen it in a text. It means fear of missing out. FOMO should not be confused with faux show, which is also what the kids are saying. But I wonder what has FOMO caused you to do? It's probably caused you to text while driving because that ding goes off and you're like, who is it? What's happened? What am I missing out on? Or maybe you've sat down to watch Netflix, and FOMO has caused you to start scrolling through social media because you wonder what everybody else is doing, which, what does that say about you as an individual? If you can't even sit down to watch a movie anymore, it says that the movie's not any good. Maybe, but remember the days where you just had to sit there and gut it out because you spent like $3.99 3.99 at Blockbuster, and by golly, you're going to sit there and watch all of what dreams may come because you know at the end of it, you're going to have to spend another five minutes of your life rewinding that VHS. VHS? Rewind? What are you talking about, Pastor? It was a whole thing. Don't get me started. My point is many people have become afraid of how they're spending their time And if they're making the wrong decisions about how they've chosen to spend their time, we have a fear of missing out, which in fairness, this actually isn't a new problem. This is what advertisers have relied on for literally hundreds of years. They've been trying to get you compelled to buy their product by causing fear within your spirit, like you're missing out on something. And their hope is that you'll see a photo and think to yourself, well, I need that. I don't have that. I I might be missing out on something. And the problem is, in today's world, it doesn't require somebody going into a dark room somewhere and developing a photograph and putting it into a magazine. In today's culture you have instant access to all the cool things everybody is doing all across the world at once. And it's caused you a sense of panic, a fear of missing out. What you may not realize is FOMO actually appears in the Bible. They don't call it that because they weren't as adept at making acronyms as we are in today's world. But let me show you this. If you brought your Bible with you to this video, I hope you did. If not, pause, go grab it, and I want you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 25. There also should be a link you can download the notes. I'd encourage you to do that. You can Print those off and follow along there as well. But what we've been doing over these weeks together is looking at some stories that Jesus told. They're called parables. The word parable literally translated means alongside. And the reason we've called this series Hidden in Plain Sight is because we believe these parables are a fictional story that have a spiritual truth alongside them. The meaning of these stories that Jesus told is quite literally hidden in plain sight. So let's go. Matthew 25, we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Again, it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability." Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, thank you for your word. We ask you now to do what only you can do. Speak to us even through this medium of video. God, we know that where your word is, it will not return void. There's power in it. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. God, help me as I try and explain what this means and how it can impact our lives in the future. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. It's argued that Zig Ziglar is who coined the phrase fear is false evidence appearing real. Again, a little acronym. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And in many cases, that's true. I'm not here to argue if this coronavirus is one of those things. False evidence is appearing real. I think time will tell. I do know that I'm old enough to remember the hantavirus scare where if you went into your garage or up into your attic and you saw mouse droppings, you would immediately drop dead because the virus was airborne. And if you breathed that air, then you were dead. And uh, that worked in my favor as a kid, because uh, I would just tell my parents, Hey, I can't clean the garage. Can't clean the attic this week. Sorry. There's hantavirus. And then it came out with face masks and it was like, dad gum now we've got to do that but uh, I, i'm also old enough to remember the west nile virus that we were all supposed to die because of mosquitoes and if they sucked your blood immediately you would get sick and die which was uh awesome for me as well because i hate outside and so i was like well can't go outside anymore Uh, don't want to get bit by a mosquito but then we're all cooped up inside and then everybody ended up with SARS and it was just a nightmare and many cases now looking back false evidences appearing real now even still in other situations fear is very well deserved again maybe this coronavirus is something that we should fear but Uh, in, In many cases, this is not false evidence appearing real. This is very real evidence appearing realer. Like you should be afraid of nearly every single snake. Those suckers will bite your face off or coil around your ribs and suffocate you to death. You should be afraid of snakes. And you should be afraid of airplanes and skydiving and parachutes and all of that and you should be afraid of camping because some rabid raccoon might enter into your tent and give you rabies and you should never ever go camping and so the quandary that we're all in is depending on your circumstances how do we know how do we know if this is false evidence appearing real or if this is real evidence that we need to take very seriously because not all fear is bad. Some fear is good. Fear of poverty makes you work hard. Fear of disease motivates you to practice healthy, sanitary living. Fear of losing your job will inspire you to show up early and do the best that you know how fear of failing a class will cause you to study harder and longer. Fear of losing our family inspires us to be faithful to them, to work hard for them, and to show them love on a daily basis. Sometimes FOMO is exactly what you need. It's kind of interesting because fear involves the same kind of chemical reaction in our brains, that positive emotion, like happiness and excitement do. So feeling fear under certain circumstances can be seen as fun. You've experienced this. It's why you went on a roller coaster more than once, because that fear caused in you some kind of chemical reaction uh, that is the same as excitement or watching a scary movie. It's like why you like doing that. And yet, depending on the person Fear may be perceived as either positive or negative. Here's how I want you to write it down if you're taking notes with me. Fear can mitigate action. Fear can mitigate action. Fear can keep you from activity. That's what we just read, right? What's verse 25 say? I was afraid... So I hid your gold in the ground. Fear kept this man from appropriate action. Now, before we really unpack that, a couple things that I want to point out first. First of all, there's only four characters in this story. There's the master and his three servants. And the reason I bring that to your attention is because any time that Jesus tells a parable, one of his goals is for you to ask yourself, who am I? Who am I in this story? Which person am I? And then depending on where you land, on which person you are, what appropriate action should be taken based on who I've discovered that I am. So here's who you're not. You're not the wealthy man going on a journey. Okay? So if you're watching this and you're thinking, I think the pastor just told me that I need to take a super long vacation and go on a journey. I think what he's saying is I need to leave. Not so much. That's not at all what I'm saying. Jesus is saying that he is the wealthy man who goes on a journey. The time that he left this earth until the time that he comes back is this long journey that he is on. We are the servants of that he has entrusted to gifts, talents, and abilities. He has made an investment in us, and we are to take what he has given to us and use it for his glory while we await his return. The question before you today, then, is which servant are you? To that point, the word That's translated in this text. The Greek word for servant is the word doulos. It is a word that describes a unique class of servant. That's not what our American minds think about when we hear the word slave. A doulos is not someone who has become a slave by constraint or force. A doulos was somebody who was freed by their master and chose to serve him out of love. In other words, a dulos or a servant would be given their papers of freedom by their master, and that servant was so thankful for his freedom that they chose to serve their master longer. And that's what I want you thinking about because we are supposed to be a dulos, a bondservant. A slave by choice that's the picture before as matter of fact Paul often refers to himself as a doulos when he's writing in the New Testament a voluntary servant a slave for God that is what we are Christ has paid an incredible price and debt for us he has pardoned our sin he has forgiven us and now we should become his doulos his voluntary servants. Serving him not because we have to, serving him because we want to, because we love him, and recognizing that he has instilled certain things in our life that we are to use for his glory. Certain gifts, certain talents, certain resources, everything is from him. Watch this, first Corinthians six nineteen. You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Psalm seven three. children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Your Bible might say children are a heritage. Children are on loan from the Lord. It all means the same thing. In Luke 14, Jesus says, "'So then none of you can be my disciple "'who does not give up all his own possessions.'" Now, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to take a vow of poverty and just get rid of all your stuff. It simply means you should recognize that everything, all of your possessions, are from the Lord. So put it all together. My life is the Lord's. My family is the Lord's. All my things are the Lord. Everything is from God. Now, what am I going to do with that? That's the question Jesus is asking. Are you like the first two servants, or are you like the third? Are you honoring yourself with the stuff that God has given to you, or are you bringing honor and glory to him? The other thing I wanted to draw out is that these slaves were already working, like ability had already been established, and God gave according to their ability. That is to say, we may not all be equal in talent, but we should all be equal in effort. A lot of Christians think, God saved me, I'm good, but that's only half right. The message of the gospel is, God saved me, now go. The message is not, God saved me, I'm good, God saved me, now go. But fear mitigates action. So even if you are working, and God has given you a ton of gifts to steward, Fear can keep you from doing everything that God has wanted you to do. Fear can keep you focused on yourself. But here's how it plays itself out in the text. An extremely wealthy man sits down at his study. He has a fireplace going behind him. He's surrounded by leather-bound books, and his office smells of rich mahogany. His cologne is made by Odeon, and it's illegal in nine countries. And he thinks to himself, I'm going on a holiday. I deserve a vacation. I've seen these cabins on the turquoise water in a land called Bora Bora, and I've heard rumors of watermelon piña coladas with little umbrellas in the top, and I'm going to go there. So he sends for his Servants. Now the first guy comes in, the master knows from his work that this man is not just a visionary, but he's also very detail-oriented, which this is a rare combination. Not only can this man see something in the future, but he can also get everybody involved to accomplish that feat. And so the master says, I'm going to give him five grand. This is incredibly unique. He deserves five grand. And then the second guy comes in and based on the work that he's been doing, the master knows he doesn't have vision, but he gets stuff done. And he carries around a little yellow legal pad and it's got all the days to do list. And he loves checking off boxes and saying, yep, got that done. Yep, got that done. And so the master says, I'm not going to give him five grand because he can't dream big enough for five, but I'm going to give him two. It's a good investment. The third guy comes in. He's like four hours late. His shirt's all jacked up. He's got sheet marks on his face. He's like, what? thought you said two o'clock. Master's like, should I just kill this fool right now? Should probably just kill this guy. Uh, But instead, he's feeling generous. He says, here, here's a thousand dollars. Get out of my face. Go do something. Then what happens? Master goes on his journey. And at once our text says, at once the first two go out and double their money. Which, keep in mind, Jesus makes no distinction between the first two servants regarding the degrees of their faithfulness. When the master comes back from his island holiday and settles his accounts, which that's something that should shake you up a little bit, one day standing before the master and having to give an account for how you spent your job how you spent your money how you spent your time how what did you do talk about fomo jesus says i gave you five grand what'd you do with it but the master doesn't distinguish between their faithfulness he says to both of them well done good and faithful servants it's important to realize because amounts don't matter to god god can do a lot with a little just ask The boy with five loaves and two fish. So you say, I don't have a lot to offer. That's okay. Bring your loaves, bring your fish, see what God can do. See, God's already determined your ability. Right now, what he's looking for is availability. Are you ready to invest what he's allocated to you? So here's what we know. We know fear can mitigate action. That's what this third man teaches us. But we also know action can mitigate fear. Write that down. Action can mitigate fear. Where do we get that from the first two immediately they went out and invested. See, our text doesn't say that this third man's fear was unwarranted. It doesn't say that the first two were not afraid. It says that they got to work. What's Proverbs nine ten say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Point being fear is not wrong if fear pushes you forward. The problem with this one man's fear is it prevented him from doing anything. He didn't even put it in the bank. You should know that the Roman banking system is not all that different from ours today. They had a minimum level of interest that you could earn if you invested money with them. And if he would have just put it in the bank, he would have gotten some money back. And sometimes if you'll just start, it's all you need to do because action can mitigate fear. So when I was a little kid, I was terrified of bees. Well, to be fair, I was terrified of most things. It was due predominantly to my dad. My dad had convinced me that there was a little man living downstairs. And so I was terrified to go into the basement. I was terrified of the noon whistle. And if I would ever go outside and see a critter and I was about to reach down and grab it, my dad would come up behind me and like goose and yell. And so I was terrified of anything that moved. But when Laura and I made the decision to live out in the country, I knew that I wanted to get honeybees. But I also knew I was terrified of bees and I really didn't want to get stung. And what helped push me past my fears was action, just doing it, just going for it. I can remember the very first snake that I caught. I nearly stroked out as soon as I touched it. No kidding. The adrenaline that surged through my veins almost killed me, but I did it. And then the next snake that I caught was way easier. Because action can mitigate fear. But this guy's fear causes him to bury his master's money in a hole in the ground. That's what made his master so angry. Because he didn't even try. Which is downright sinful. It's wrong. This man's tragic error lay in allowing his fear to paralyze him. So there's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. According to Proverbs, it's healthy to fear the Lord, but it's unhealthy to view the Lord as frightening. This man's concept of his master was wrong. He thought his master was something he was not. The text says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown seed and gathering where you have not scattered seed. What's the master say? You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in the bank. You seen the sarcasm there. So you knew that I was like that and you still didn't do anything. In other words, the master isn't agreeing with this man's assessment. That's why there's a question mark at the end of verse 26. He says, if I was like that, that should have compelled you to do something. If that's who I am, then you should not have done nothing. And Jesus is trying to help you understand that some people have a warped view of God. They're afraid to say to the Lord, here's my life. Here's my future. Here are my resources. Here is my time. It's now dedicated to your glory. Many people think, oh, I could never say that. Why not? Because what if God made my life miserable? What if God said I had to move to Africa and become a missionary? What if God said I was supposed to marry somebody who was ugly, but they had a good heart and you're a single person and you're like, Lord, I'm giving you my future. I'm entrusting to you. I'm praying that you'll send this uh, man or woman into my life that I'm supposed to marry and you don't do that because you're like, well, what happens if they're lame and you don't trust God? And what if I can't buy the things that I want to buy and go to the places that I want to go because God's called me to be generous and I'm supposed to give away a portion of my income? And that was the problem with this third servant. He had a false concept of his master. Instead of seeing his master as a blessing— Instead of saying, he has given me these resources, he's entrusted things to me, let's invest them, let's really please him, let's show him how much I love him. Instead of that, he was afraid. There are many people who are afraid of God, not out of a godly reverence, but out of a fear of what he's going to do to us. Oh, he's going to give me cancer. Oh, he's going to let my kids die. Oh, he's going to ruin my life. Look, it's time for us to realize that that is not the God of the Bible. It's time for us to realize that the greatest joy that you can have in this life is serving the Lord. It's not drudgery. It's not condemnation. It's joy. It's life as it's meant to be lived. God said, I'm sending my son Jesus. Jesus is coming so you might have life and have it to the full. Now, notice that the reward of work well done is still more work to do. The first two servants had done well, but they're not told to kick back and rest on their laurels. Because they have done well, they are given greater tasks and greater responsibilities in the work of their master says, you've been faithful with a little, now I'm going to put you in charge of much. The reward of your work is more work. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to think that vacation is something that can never be enjoyed. Like, if you're outside wakeboarding when Jesus comes back, he's just going to be furious at you. Like, angels, hell for this guy. I thought that. He was faithful in serving me, but here I am, I come back, and he's out having fun? No. This is, this is more about how you see the world. Do you see submission to the Lord as a joy? Because God is not honored by your begrudging submission. God is not honored by you thinking, well, I better do what he says because there's this whole gnashing of teeth things. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound pleasant, and I don't want my teeth gnashed, so I better do what he says. God is not glorified by that. Think of it this way Imagine if you're a single person and you're dating, considering getting married, and so you come up to me and you say, Pastor, what is it like to be married? I'm thinking of asking my significant other to marry me, what's it like to be married? And I say, Well, friend, I'll tell you. I value faithfulness and discipline and steadfastness. And 11 years ago this May, I made a vow before God and my friends that I would stay faithful and true. And nothing in me wants that, but I made a commitment, and I'm a man of my word, so I just every day choose to love my wife with my will and grit. I mean, is anybody going, that's, that's so beautiful. I, I've never heard it described. That makes me want to be married so bad. Have you pitched this to Hallmark? Because it's moving. No, you'd you'd walk away from that conversation like Judas Priest. I'm more depressed now than I was before. I, I should probably just go to a monastery somewhere and take a vow of celibacy because marriage sounds horrible. But what if you came up to me and you said, tell me about marriage. And I was like, where do I start? First of all, I lucked out because I convinced a real life human girl to live with me. And I don't know how, but she knows all of my shortcomings and she still loves me. Can you believe that? And, and she loves our home and she takes care of it and she loves our kids And there's only been once in like 11 years of marriage where she's woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, it's your turn. And I don't know how this happens because there'll be days where I walk by the laundry basket and it'll be overflowing. And then the next day it's empty, like And what if I told you that there's no one else on this planet who I'd rather spend my time with, and I hate to see her go, but love to watch you leave, girl. You know what I'm saying? And you all, even though sometimes you all see her as sweet and compassionate and caring, she can also be really scary. And there's been times in the middle of the night where I'm curled up in the fetal position crying. So she can't see me. And what if I told you that as we get older, we both get better? And that sounds way better, doesn't it? That's what Jesus means when he says, enter into the joy of my master. Listen to me. The reason that you're bored in church, the reason that you're tired and frustrated And zoned out is because you're not understanding the joy of the master. God is not trying to keep anything from you. That's why I titled the message FOMO. Because the fear of missing out on what God has for you should compel you forward in what you do in this life. So write this down and then we're done. Fruit in this life leads to joy in the next. That's the message of this parable. Fruit in this life, what God has entrusted to you, is going to lead to joy in the next. We as Christians one day will stand before God and we will give an account for what we have done with our gifts, talents, resources, time, ability, all of those things that he has given to us. And this has nothing to do with heaven. You're already in heaven. The Bible makes it clear that there's actually two judgment. There's the great white throne judgment where God opens up the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is in there because you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then you get an eternal heaven. But then there's a second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's where we have to give an account to our master on how we've handled the gifts, talents, abilities, time, all those things. That he has entrusted to us. And that's what should drive you. Fear of missing out on all the rewards that Jesus is ready to offer you based on how you've lived in this life. Of course you get heaven. That was the easy part. All that required was belief in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. But the joy of the master? That requires bravery. That requires work. That requires getting involved? Which one are you? Faithful servant? Fruitful servant? Or the fearful servant? That's the question that you have to answer. God, thank you so much for using such simple stories to help communicate such an unbelievable truth. God, it's in such a weird season of life here that fear can overtake us, but we want to be faithful to you. We know that, God, you're still in control, that this fear of the world should not be what drives us. Fear of missing out on the rewards that we have in heaven. God, we have an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity to be faithful and strong and brave with everything that you have entrusted to us. We have an opportunity to have the courage to trust in your son Jesus if we never have before. And might I just encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, don't waste any more time. Become his doulos because of what he's done for you. Put your faith in him. And then get to work serving Him. This requires no effort on your part to trust in Him. It requires belief. Because Jesus already paid the price for you. So you can just pray, God, I believe in your Son, Jesus. Please forgive my sin. I'm sorry I've lived however I've wanted. But I know that Jesus died for me. And that He rose from the dead. And he has beat sin and death, and because of that, I'm made new. God thank you for entrusting to us valuable resources and time and talents. God help us use them for you. Help us bring glory to your name because of how you've gifted us and wired us and shaped us. Help us discover the plan and purpose that you have for our lives. Let us invest these things and see a hundredfold gain. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.